0: Welcome to the special event of Art Music Lit Space After Before and a Half. Uh, We're here to celebrate uh, the in between time of our opening reception, which was June 11th, and our closing reception, which will be July 30th. Uh, We've asked uh, artists from our exhibition After Before to participate in tonight's event, and we have uh, two guest artists to share work with us um, tonight as a debut. uh, Performance screening. Um, after Before and a Half uh, is a collection of work by artists from all, all over the country and across the globe, uh, as far as uh, Serbia and Italy. Uh, the artists in After Before are, in alphabetical order, Forrest Alaya, Daniel Brickman, Philip Brewbaker, Stephanie Bird, Sai, Adam Foreman, Jeremy Foreman, Julia Sari, Ben Shurtleff, Tatjana Silveroff, Amanda Thomas, Ronald Walker, Alexandra Yakovleva, and Sophie Yuditskaya. And uh, if you're joining us now, I uh, just want to let you know that we've posted some updates to the site Uh, we've added another video to our guest page and we have an archive so we'll be keeping track of the exhibitions our upcoming exhibition is methods of negotiation so if you are looking to uh, submit you can do that at info at art dash music dash lit dot space. Uh, we're looking for all kinds of work uh, from traditional to new media. Uh, and yeah, we're super excited. Curators, uh, Derek Quan, Joy Miller, and myself, are really excited to work with uh, the artists that we've been working with. And uh, we'd like for you to join our community, uh, our growing community. So with that, um, I, Tavares, will hand it over to Joy, who's going to have a conversation with artist
1: Rachel Dean.
2: Hi everyone. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, just a little preface with the conversation that Rachel and I are going to be having. Well, um, we're going to be talking while drawing and Um, It's a little bit of an experiment. It's a series that I'd like to get going and keep going for the gallery where we're having a conversation while annotating the document using the Zoom annotation tool. And um, some of my thoughts on that are just that while we're drawing or doing kind of mindless marking or mindful marking, I'm not really sure which one it is, we kind of release a certain attention that might guard um, a more associative energy that we have for a conversation. So I'm hoping to um, hoping to make some kind of discovery about what it means to talk while drawing and to listen while drawing. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Rachel Dean to you all. So Rachel Dean is a California-based artist. She was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. She holds a BFA in painting and an MA in art and design education from the Rhode Island School of Design and an MFA in art studio from the University of California, Davis. She has been an artist in residence at the Chautauqua School of Art, the Vermont School Center, and the Wasai Project. She is shown nationally in California, Rhode Island, Philadelphia, Massachusetts, Florida, and Texas. And her work has been collected by the Jan Shrim and Maria Minetti Shrim Museum of Art. Welcome, Rachel.
3: Hello, thank you for having me.
2: Thanks for being here. Um, So Rachel and I have been kind of moving through a week-long conversation. Um, every day for a little while and building up drawings, practicing drawing while talking, um, which are all in this Google Doc. And I imagine we'll be touching on some of this this evening, but also hopefully exploring new territory. To get started, Rachel, I would love to um, hear you talk a little bit about the embroidery practice that you're really spending a lot of time on right now, and um, what that has to do with repetition and trauma.
3: Sure. So I, um, you know, in grad school, I started working with ideas about coping mechanisms and healing mechanisms as related to trauma, and I did a bunch of research into the different psychoanalytic and folkloric and scientific and social ways that we respond to trauma. Um, and I tried to like take all those findings and find a way to make it work within my own process. So what I, what I found that was really interesting to me is that when you experience a trauma, you go into a frozen state rather than fight or flight And when you're in that frozen state, you are still producing energy, even though you're not able to release it because you're frozen. Um, So when the trauma is over, you have to naturally let go of all that stored up energy. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there and rot. So animals have natural healing mechanisms to get rid of it. And usually it's a physical shaking that they do to get rid of all that stored energy. But often we as humans don't go through that natural procedure. So we develop things like PTSD and anxiety. So I, I was thinking about ways that I could introduce a shaking procedure into my own practice. And what I found, another thing that I found with trauma is about testimony um, and and really recounting the memories and you know giving them some kind of presence and so i developed this dual practice of first painting about a memory either traumatic or just highly emotional anything that was like very presently in my mind and affecting my my being and how i was moving through the world so i paint about it in an intuitive and quick manner to testify about it And then I embroider it as a way to work through it more meditatively and work through it as a constant process of body movement, Um, you know, because embroidery is so repetitive and so slow, it takes forever to work. So, I, I paint and then I embroider, and then when I show the tapestries, oh, which I guess we're looking at a little one I did right here that's on the screen, I show the back stitching first. Um, and I do that because I think after all of these repetitions, I come away with something that I don't have a lot of physical control over. Like, I don't have control over, over how the back stitching looks, it's purely a record of all of the labor that I put in. Um And I think that's something that I really wanted to highlight is the labor of of working through these mechanisms on a daily basis. so I show the back stitching first
2: and then when you do show the front stitching yes on this one, mm-hmm, that's the back side here's the front or here's the front back side or the back front side um and and this one in particular, you know, I guess what I really want to know is here. You have are these marks really free? Yes. And um, and I think it's hard, it, especially when you emphasize the backside versus like there's a strange turn that happens when you say this this is the backside. That's the front side. And then this is the front side. That's the back side. And then suddenly they really are two sides. And we talked a little bit while we were like, there's so much like bound up duality in your work, I think sometimes.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, like talking about trauma and healing and, and how repetition, um, how repetition is is both a symptom of trauma, but also the cure to trauma.
3: Absolutely.
2: And um, and so when when these pieces are finished and you look at them, I'm wondering in your in your body, in your heart, in your mind, like how do you feel? Do you can you sense a different a shift in your relationship to the traumatic experience upon which you were meditating?
3: I, you know, I guess that's really the question that I was going after in this piece that is up in the Google doc right now, because I'm not sure. I don't know if it is. Uh, I made this work. Um, I'm a part of a member of a group called the imaginary collective. Um, and there it's there's a lot to say about it, but very quickly, it's basically a group that is very anti-capitalist and um, seeks to m- kind of make art outside of all institutions and what that means. Um, and so we have secret shows and we don't tell anyone, we don't advertise. Uh, we only talk about it once the show is concluded. Uh, but, I saw, but so the prompt for this first show um, was to make work as if we were already free. Um and at the time I was I was I had just made my my first major tapestry and I was now on the other side of this whole long process. And did my relationship with that memory actually change or was my understanding of it any different? I don't know. I mean I think that it it must be in some ways. I think that probably it I have more ability to control anxiety around those specific events because I've worked through it in my body. Um, but I I don't think that it also is completely all healing.
2: Mm -hmm. And do you like off the top of your head, is there any way in which you could like in which you would think you would be able to quantify that shift or like kind of document that bodily soulful shift or or is is the embroidery itself enough of a documentation of the shift
3: you know that's a good question i think that my initial response would be to say that the embroidery is enough um or or, you know that's really what the the intention behind the embroidery is and so i think that it could fill that question pretty easily um but I also, you know, I've been toying with the idea of all, I think it'd be fun to do some kind of performance where, you know, I, uh, I make an installation that I use as a still life and then I live embroider a tapestry and either do some kind of, I mean, in the pre-COVID world, I would say like I would just inhabit the gallery space until the tapestry was finished. But in the post-COVID world, I would say that maybe it's some kind of live stream that I do whenever I'm working. But I think that could be another interesting way to think about the labor of it all. But also, maybe it's too heavy-handed. I don't know. It's just something that, I, it's, you know, that's, that's an idea that I, I've i been interested in for a while, and I think I'm not quite ready to do it yet. And that tells me that there are some things I still need to work out about it, but it's something I'm interested in. So.
4: Mm-hmm
2: um what's i i mean i let's switch t- t- directions a little bit let's um i want to talk about I, I i kind of return back to this doubleness again and and this time kind of think about cuz you and i have been talking a lot about the mirror stage and lacan this week
4: mm-hmm.
2: and um And again, I feel like there's an intense doubleness in a lot of those ideas as well, right? Just in terms of a self being divided and seeing their external self and thinking that that's their own self, even though the experience that experiences the mirror image of a self is not the mirror image. And I'm curious, about or in in some ways do you think of your embroideries as images in any way or as sorry as mirror images
3: you mean like my other self?
4: mm-hmm hmm.
3: You know, that's a good question. <laughs> I think that maybe i, I think that uh, I hadn't thought about it in that way before. Um, but that certainly is a possibility. Do you want to um, scroll up to the to the page with the writing on it?
2: Yeah. If I can, I can. Let me. Ah, ha. Here we go.
4: This one.
2: Do you want this one or this one?
4: Uh,
3: the second, the first one that we did, yeah, this one. Okay. I don't know. I, I think that maybe, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of feeling like I want to read these. And I think it's, that is that's cool with you, Joy?
2: Yeah, I would love, and and just a little preface to these, right? Um, this text is from these paintings.
4: They're right here behind me.
3: <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, this is from a series of work I'm doing called Desire Testimonies, where I just try and like be radically honest about my musings around desire and drive. And so these were two um, works that are separate, but belong together as a pair. And they wrote them both after reading and researching Lacan. Um, and they're kind of like opposite views in some way. And I think that the, like the nexus between the opposite is somewhere where my work lies. Okay, so let's read them. <laughs> so the first one says, I've lost access to the thing, as is to be expected. It is, however, remarkable to me how large of a role fantasy has taken in building the distance between my desires and my patterns. I know that any time I return to my memories, I'm just writing my own self-fulfilling prophecy. Yet I'm convinced that my transcendence lies somewhere within these evocations. You could qualify these recollections as a type of fantasy for they hold more weight than the past moment, negating factuality. But my daemon must reside in the recognition of structure and fact, rather than the ease of fantasy. And so the work continues. Um, And then the second one, which takes more of a structure like a folklore, or um, yeah, it goes, uh, there was once a girl who lived in a society structured by expectations. As she matured, she grew to recognize the expectations as hegemonic agents. When she saw parts of herself that mirrored the expectations, she banished them. I've been told my value lies in my appearance and my intelligence, so let me have neither. I've been told my past builds my behavior, so let me have no history. I've been told I'm capable of transcendent emotionality, so let me be rid of feeling. I've been told if I work towards my goals, they will manifest, so let me have no plans. When she surveyed her emptied self, she found she had never felt more at one with her character and simultaneously could not see a way to move forward.
4: The end.
2: When she surveyed her emptied self, she found she could not, she could never, she had never felt more at one with her character and simultaneously could not see a way to move forward.
4: hmm
2: Do you want more? more? I, I just, I mean, what does it feel like to have an emptied character, you know, and, and to not exist?
3: Well, that's what I, that's what I kind of mean right like if you're looking at i mean the con very basically is there scroll up, scroll up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very basically about three different aspects that build our personality there's the uh symbolic the imaginary and the real um and basically the symbolic and the imaginary are projections of ourself our personality and our subjectivity that are structured by outside forces like society and media and um, all of the different things that we intake language is huge the things that we grow to meet rather than create ourselves um, and the real is this more of our unique jouissance like our innate character our gut our drive our desire um, and so it's it's like a fun thought experiment. And I think I often think about this as relation, in relation to gender and femininity. Um, like if I do away with everything that I've been taught about what femininity is, what do I have remaining? Or, and then you could apply that to any kind of structure that you that you find within yourself. And And often I think in those moments you feel at most at one with yourself, at one with your character, but also if you do away with all relation to structure, you're not really able to continue to exist and function within the world that we live. And so it's about this, and, and this is the, the, the play between the two writings. It's about this um, f- figuring out of, of the scales about how much you're engaging with the, the structured selves and how much you're engaging with your unique self and when you're letting who who come into the forefront of your mind and take over.
4: And
2: when you're embroidering, yeah. are you, I mean, how do you, I mean, I kind of, sometimes I kind of think of making work as being kind of empty, right? Like as being a force and, and a, a conduit of energy. And I'm wondering if when you're embroidering a, what do you, like, how, how do you sense those different, how do you sense, can, can you sense the differentiation between the symbolic, the imaginary and the real, or, or do you feel like you have a sense of that? And then also um, do you, Do you feel like you have more access to the real as you're in the middle of working?
3: Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I find it's easiest to like do away with the symbolic and the imaginary rather than to connect with the real. Um, Just simply because I can like follow the lineage of, of society. I can say, okay, I have this, particular image about, or thought about myself. Did I see that in a movie? Oh yeah, I did. And like, where else have I seen it? And you can like follow it back in time and like identify where you, where that belief came from. Um, But with the real, you're kind of in this space. And I think this is a lot, I think it is kind of the moment of making art um, where you're, you're not fully conscious of, I don't know, like, your mind working like I think artists often talk about it like I'm in the zone um, (laughs) where you're just kind of producing and you're letting your body respond and function as it naturally wants to and as it progresses. Um, And so I think that embroidery is interesting because it's so slow that I often have to have like a lot of outside stimuli to like be chugging along with me while I'm working like during quarantine, I've been watching Love Island as I've been embroidering many, many seasons of it. And there are 50 episodes per season. Like it's crazy, but I'm not really in taking Love Island. It's more just, I, I have this constant um, source. that's like a buzz. That's always almost at the same level. And like with that buzz, I can kind of numb out my, my conscious thinking and just let my body be in that meditative repetitives state
2: have you have you ever tried to do a full day without external stimuli and to just a, feel a, the buzz not a
3: full day sometimes you know towards the end of a studio session i'll when i'm feeling kind of antsy i'll that's the moment when i'm like i can't have any stimulus right now i just need a, some quiet but i have not i i rarely reach a point where i don't want anything and if it's not an, an audio book or a movie or a TV show, it's um, music, especially for when I'm painting music.
2: Do you, where do you think it goes? All of that, all of the audio book, like do you think it just kind of like flows straight through you because there's, because all of your energy that grabs at what is happening externally in the world is Focused on a needle and thread.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's like definitely it's not like full absorption, and I also like don't try and intake anything that's too intellectual while I'm working. I mean, hence Love Island. But but like when I listen to an audiobook, usually it's like a fantasy or something that's lighthearted, and I don't really have to like use too much brain power to follow along with. Um, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember.
2: Do you are you able to remember the characters' names from Love Island, or does it just wash out of your memory?
3: Well, I'm horrible with names in the first place, so no, <laughs> no names stay in my brain ever.
2: <laughs> Would you be able to recount any of the plots?
3: Yeah, 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 sure. Oh, I oh I remember the story. Uh, at one point, when I was working, I watched a bunch of the X Files, um, and I was doing something where I really what didn't have my eyes on the screen; it was just noise. And then I was seeing a guy, we were, uh, he was so into them and he hadn't seen them before. And he kept on being like, Oh, well, you have, have you seen this episode yet? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, I don't think I have. And then you start watching it, and it there's, no familiarity for me and then all of a sudden someone says a line or like there's a dialogue exchange and I'm like oh yes i have seen this before but the visuals i like are completely new to me so
2: is that that i that stuff creeps me out when it's just like i don't know how i mean talk about the subconscious right like i don't know but then all of a sudden some some face zooms by in a scene or some sound bite springs the memory that I have actually seen it, but it's very deep inside of me where I have no control to the access of. It creeps me out.
3: <laughs> oh, the brain.
2: <laughs> Seriously. Well, I think I'm gonna go ahead and um, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up
4: yes.
2: for tonight. Well, but
3: thanks for having me.
2: Thanks so much for being willing to. Come do this with us tonight it was fun
4: yay <laughs> a lot of fun great
2: and then i'm gonna hand it over to derek who's gonna introduce jeremy
5: so uh, uh thanks rachel and joy for the awesome conversation I'm glad to bear witness to, to that uh i met a. Uh, Jeremy and uh, his brother uh, Adam Foreman both in this show uh, after before when I was uh studying percussion uh, masters at uh Queens College um in New York uh Adam was doing percussion and uh Jeremy uh, he plays a guitar but somehow ended up in our whole percussion world too and then I later went on to do doctoral studies at Stony Brook and they were from Long Island and um, like uh like a month or two ago maybe more um, I got a message from I think Jeremy it was like oh hey we're moving out to Sacramento California so it's like they've I've been they've been they, their lives in my life has kind of been like tracing the same geographical path and now they're uh both in part of this art music lit space, which I'm a part of, and so our lives are even more intertwined, (laughs) which is uh, funny and also kind of great at the same time, and I got to um, uh, read uh, some of the poetry of both of them, which is great because I'm more more familiar with their music side. Um, Jeremy and Adam are both part of this band, uh, Butterscotch Stanley, which I. Which I never got to see, but uh, <laughs> but hopefully one of these days. And with that, I'll hand it over to Jeremy.
6: You might want to unmute.
7: How's this? Okay, good. Thank you very much. I um. I've never done this, I don't know what I'm doing, so uh, go easy on me. Also, there's a fly that keeps circling around. I don't know if you can see it in the in the, the picture there, but it keeps going around and around, and I actually got it out of the room about 20 minutes ago before this started, but it's uh, I think it came back through underneath. Anyway. Um, I guess I'm just going to do some reading. I can't hear anyone. I want to hear people. Oh, here we go. We're not talking. (laughs) We're listening. (laughs) Oh, you're listening. Oh, okay. Okay, very good. All right, well, um, I guess I'm just going to do some reading here. If it goes on too long, though, just say something, and I'll know to stop because I'm going to have the poems up so I won't be able to see you. You know what I mean? Okay, great. Okay. Um, Yeah, if if you have any questions, I would love to talk. Um, I don't know what I would say, but I definitely want to talk. So, you know, if this goes on too long, you just say it, and I'm going to start now. This is called a tiring. I don't feel like writing. I feel like drinking. I feel like indenting. I feel like flossing. There's nothing like brushing your teeth, flossing, mouth washing, and then taking a long swig of hard whiskey and having a Marlboro. Nothing like Hunter Thompson and wondering if he would be the ideal presidential candidate or the next worst thing to ever happen in politics. Nothing like the Bakersfield sound Nothing like Ross, the violin teacher from Party of Five. Nothing like gold tequila and warm sex on September 4th, 2019. Nothing like a break from everything. Nothing like loving something. Nothing like aching and getting. Does that ever happen really, aching and getting? Nothing like catching a cricket and letting it free. Nothing like the year 1962. Patsy Cline and Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan and Miles Davis and the seedlings of a velvet underground. The coffee came out of a cylindric, metallic, and black upright tube, and I pressed the button down two or three times to fill my cup. Peruvian read the magic marker sign on the metal. And I wondered for the 14th time that day, what in the fucking hell do you people do? There are four apartments on this entire island and they are all $1,900 a month, and you make $10 an hour as a waitress in a breakfast place that's open six hours a day, three days a week. So God damn it, tell me, what do you do here? Uh, this one's called uh, Income Tax. I really should write poems, I mean really. I should listen to Sublime and smoke camels and drink $11 vodka. I know someone did this in 2001. The Everglades is where I would be, is where I would do this poem poem writing. Away from the cities, away from everything. And the heat would eat me up alive, but who cares at that point? What difference does it make? I should really write poems, smell the air in the deepest of the deep South. When you're down here in the mud, there is no more South. Fuck the poems. I'll drive a Mercury, a real old one. Put my music on and blow out the speakers and wind up at a corner store three miles down. That's fine because who the hell wants to see anyone anyway? It's too wet to see people. But once in a while you buy Durex or Trojan, whatever catches you first, whatever has the best color. Maybe a gold or a silver or a purple but the smell is the same, it's like the fucking middle ages condom buying. The uniformity, the conformity, the expertly stitched awkward three minute segment at the store, but Durex, you look good. I won't make much, in fact, I'll make just about nothing, but I'll make it, enough to buy a pack of smokes, a condom or three, and I mail order movies too. The lady from Shanghai, no IT here, just heat. Do you think it's hot, honey? I don't fucking care how hot it is. Okay, okay, take it easy. Spank me. This is uh, this is one the one that was published. Uh, this is called Beetles. Thanks for accepting this. You, I hope you're all hearing me loud and clear. Um, Beetles. There is nothing more horrifying than a large beetle feeding delicately on a small round piece of dog shit. (laughs) I'll let that one sink in. Um, This is called Work. The smell of gas station coffee and a Marlboro light at 7.05 in the morning, a slobbering pit bull wagging her tail uncontrollably on the stairs of a homeless man's church, a beautiful woman in gray slacks, two construction workers, hard hats wrapped in wire, with a 2,000-foot-high crane overhead, avoiding a man in rags talking to himself, getting to work, asking for a pen, and being told to take the one in front of me, a pen with a 10-inch multicolored feather attached with tape to its clicker. Nine hours. A woman in a miniskirt walks a golden lab. I hold the leftovers of my lunch salad at my side, in three plastic bags, and I think of the crane destroying everything from L and 17th onward. Um, I'm trying to put some space in between these. Uh, this is called Altoona. Altoona is hotter than ever now. The birds are dripping and barely move. This is, oh, this is the one, is the one I like. Um, this is called Relief. Richard takes off his shoes, then socks, and plants his bare feet on the wood floors. A cool compress feeling comes over, and she comes over as well. The two, walk, the two walk onto a paisley rug that belonged to her grandmother, and they take a second to feel the swirling designs under their feet. Murmur is on the turntable at a low volume, side B. Although there are sounds outside without definition, it's good, finally good. An explosion can occur outside and it would still be good. The human body may be a horror and the human mind may do things we cannot understand, but red and green swirling rugs, coffee at night, and four nerds from Georgia make the Reagan years manageable. Diner's playing again at the Rialto on Friday. We should go, yeah. Just
6: got hey Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. You tell me. Can, yeah. t- can you tell us about your writing process? I'm loving the work, and I want to know like where your inspiration comes from. How do you
7: how do you start oh, something? Um, uh, usually it's with these. I I, usually, I used to I used to write stories. I haven't written a story in like a year, which I originally felt very bad about until I started writing these. So it's a totally different process with, with these little poems, what I've been doing is they, they just come, they just come to me usually on my way to work or if I'm, I don't know, doing laundry or, um, if I'm reading something else, not, unless it's one line i mean obviously the beetles thing is there's it's pretty clear i mean there's a backyard here and there are beetles that are huge and they're fast and they scurry around and i go outside sometimes at night and it's like me and the beetles and it's my brother says it's like beetle mania out there so um uh yeah you it's it, there's really no uh, uh there's no mystery to the, to the doing of it. Um, I don't, I, I don't even have a process if I can be honest. I mean, um, I can say that I have somewhat of an editing process. You know, there are things that I write down that at first I think, Oh, this is fucking gold. And then I'm like two hours later, what am I talking about? This is, this has to go. This is really bad so you know they're it's not um void of um thought completely but but it's also not a you know totally cosmic thing it's not intervention or anything it's pretty uh it's pretty natural you know usually a line would come and then and then something well, actually, some of them are just single lines, so sometimes that's just what it is. but usually, there's a line or a word or a I see a guy on the street, and I think, "Oh man, what a fucking weirdo you know and I think to myself like well what what what's his deal? You know, how far am I from being that guy and why uh and why do we have guys like that I mean that's just you know that's just an example it's really just an ob- observation kind of observation based thing. How do you know when
6: one line is enough you know it's t- it takes it's taken me years to be like i know when something is complete now i would say
7: I would say you never really know you just what i how i know or come the closest to knowing is honestly just the sound Mm. um it's not the words even it's just how it sounds you know if i read if i write something and i think i think i think that's the sound is is there that's really sound like
6: the rhythm or is
7: it yeah the rhythm of the words and, and how the words sound when you speak them, you know? Does that make sense? Totally. Sure. Okay, good. Um, but but I, too, don't really know when something's done. I think that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I started writing poems, because uh, there's no, I don't know, there, there's a... I I started liking the fact that explanation is, is not, it's just not necessary all the time. You know, when I would write stories, I would get like, I would get into the zone like you're talking about, get into a groove and then, you know, eight pages in, I'm like, fuck, I feel pretty good about this. It's like two in the morning, I'm still going. This is good. But then I realized like, I haven't even explained anything. I have eight pages here and it's, I, now I have to start explaining? What a drag. You know? So with these, I, I realize I, de- I think it they demand a little bit more of the person reading them. I think I like that in the things I read, too.
0: I've enjoyed the uh, work that you read tonight and you know, I really like that uh, Beatles poem that's in the exhibition. And, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, the writing is, is great. And um, I, I can empathize with with that. You know, I, I think I started quite a few stories and finished several more poems. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I kind of know what that's like. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have. A little bit more time if you want to like yeah unless there's a couple more questions you could you know read, read like one to two more pieces and then we'll sure it over to our next artist okay yeah let me let me do
7: that um let's see what, uh, what we have here so these are the last two i wrote i'll just read these real quick this is called youth um, there's an insulation in youth it's sad but warm even in December. Reading alone and, lo- and feeling lucky to empathize with the novel character and going to sleep lonely on weekends usually. But before bed on a Friday, you put the four smeared-off ice bottles that you stole from your aunt's house into a small brown patched up Jansport and you drink for the third time in your life with a couple of guys you're not really even friends with you just drink together and talk about how hot miss Atina is and you try to figure out who will get the fourth bottle who will get the fourth bottle a battle for the bottle behind the elementary school you attended five years earlier and uh, i'll just read this last one this is called gold post trees uh, Seven seventeen a.m july seventh, 2020 A woman who looks like a cross between a wax figure and a very old Hugh Grant applies a stick of deodorant while leaning over a park bench. A man, who is unmistakably a man, is sprawled out on the sidewalk next to an empty McDonald's cup. I think of Casimir Pulaski Day and begin to cry. By the time I get to work, it's 7.49 and my eyes hurt and so does my heart all underneath a maze of post trees. I walk to my desk and my hangover comes back with a vengeance. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you very much for listening and having me here. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for
2: sharing. That was great. Um, I'm gonna introduce Daniel Brickman now. Daniel Brickman became interested in art during high school when a mentor introduced him to linoleum block printing. Afterward, he studied architecture at Auburn University for two years, then switched to sculpture and earned a BFA from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Following up on a study abroad experience, he spent the next two years living and working in Zagreb, Croatia. Brickman returned to the U.S. and fulfilled an MFA at the University of California, Davis in 2012. After moving to the Bay Area, he established resin and painting studios and developed an artistic process that combines rope, sawdust, polyester resin, and acrylic paint. Formal interests include the micro-macro, ideas of organization, relation of part to whole, and patterns of growth. Welcome, Daniel.
1: Hi. Hi. Um, let me get this going so what I have for you oh here we go what I have for you are a few works um, from uh, my last year at Davis until now and the reason why I chose the works that I'll that i 'll show you is because i 'm um, very focused on process, and my last year at Davis, I kind of touched on an idea that i 've been more or less working through um ever since and um so um, starting with my thesis, this is my show uh, my show at davis and um, at that point, what I was doing is I was um mixing up some elmer 's glue with uh sawdust and uh, uh swimming ink and very large amounts and it made a kind of goopy material that um, was like pitch black and dried hard. It was very matte black. And what we're seeing here in the, um, from front to back is um, the front piece is a line drawing that um, loops the space and behind that is a 10 by 10 foot um, kind of mat that's an inch thick and behind that is, is, a, is a ring. Um that's kind of wedged in, and um you can see the detail of the texture of the material there, so besides the ring the these two pieces, the mat and the line are just purely uh the glue, the sawdust the ink with some glitter mixed in, so like this piece was um like the night sky just kind of fell in this the space and Um, and what I was getting at with doing that was an idea of making something that I could work with that was almost like paint, but it dried like a sculpture. So it was like a mix of the two. And this piece, uh, became more of like a spider web, um, where I would mash the mixture onto this, the, the rope, um, itself by hand. And you can see the texture there. And I, I was getting at making objects that could be cut free from the rope support from the web. Um, the problem was, that, I, that I found was that um, just kind of structurally, the glue didn't hold up after a few days. It, it kind of drooped down and became, became um, very soft, which was kind of fun in itself. But I wanted to find something that would hold up um, over time. And this, that led me to um, these pieces, which are called cluster seeds. And uh, I started to use uh, polyester resin instead of the glue. So it's much more structural. And these are basically random shapes that I would form by tying rope to the the floor and the walls of my studio and just covering them with layers of uh, resin and sawdust. And so as that is repeated, you get a kind of shell um, around the, uh, the rope and it was cut free and you could have a kind of standalone piece. So I made four or five of those. Um, this piece was called hull. I was thinking about the history of rope being used on ships and boats, um, not tying uh, the technology of rope being used to sail a ship and to navigate. Um, that's about seven feet wide um i started to bring in things like burlap and canvas um, to create a surface to work off of and um but eventually i I started to want to work smaller um so i could kind of go through more ideas on a a quicker um time scale Uh, this one's called shipwreck it was drawing on the idea of, I heard that if a ship would sink, you would, um, the shore next to where it sank, you would find objects kind of washing up on shore um, as time passed. And I just like that idea. So I would use things like um, paintbrushes, wire, canvas, ink, uh, whatever it had on hands, and you just uh, present that as a loose pile. Um, this piece, so I would create paper pulp in a blender and um, repeatedly grab the pulp and squeeze it with my hand, um, essentially creating a, a, a casting of the inside of my f- of my hand uh, with with the pulp, and then let them dry. Uh, and then I would dip those in ink and then in resin. So then in the end, you get a kind of stand like a resonated um, hand, like a like a fist print. Uh, I made it off 50 of those. Again, they they would they were in a loose pile um, uh, to present them. Um, from that point, I started to get into painting the surface. Uh, this piece is about four or five feet tall. Um, the painting I found was interesting. It, it's, it both masked uh, what what was being used, so you couldn't really see what it was. Um under the paint, so also um, also you just kind of see the surface of the the piece, so the texture itself popped out. Um, I chose the color because I was thinking of things like um, rituals such as brushing teeth, and this is kind of a toothpaste color. Um, the same body of work, um, this piece. It's about six feet tall, same as me and. Just started hot gluing rope to itself, um, kind of with a nod towards uh, 3D printing because you, once you can't tell what it is, it, it could really, it's just a material to, to work with and, and see what happens. Um, the color, I tried to mimic uh, wrought iron as if this was um, something that you could find as an artifacts. And this is also from that body of work. Uh, It was jessoed on the outside, so um, I just left that bare. I just kind of liked the way that the surface would catch the light and um, was thinking of ideas like skeletons and bones and things like that. And um, so these next few slides are uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes glimpse into how the works in this show were were made. And, um, I, uh, I started, um, some theaters that were changing out their line sets. Uh, they gave me their old rope. And so all of a sudden I had thousands of feet of very thick rope that was basically in pretty good shape. Um, so was working, um, working looser, um, Leaving part of the the rope bare, you can see the tape kind of masking off part of the rope so that it wouldn't be covered up with the sawdust and the resin. Um, Just leaving less tension, more more playful in terms of how they were built. And this is a photo of these pieces um, after the the sawdust and resin phase, um, at which point, and the green tape is just, uh, masking off the rope there um at which point they were gessoed for painting so you're i found that it was almost like making a a canvas um around the rope um and so yeah these were the the finished pieces um i started this body of work at the beginning of lockdown so um was thinking about like the nastier side of nature, you know, things like germs and bacteria, even, even parasites. Um, where I live, it's pretty, pretty rural and you get a lot of ticks on our dogs and even on us too. Um, these last two was thinking about things you would use to, to clean, um, to make sure your home is clean, to make sure that your space is safe. Uh which was drawing on colors you might find in a hospital, kind of neutral colors. And these instruments were, you know things you could use on your yourself, your home. And uh yeah, the um the last few slides are what I've been working on since. They're unfinished, uh they're in progress. Um I don't have a whole lot to say about them at this point. I don't know uh what they're going to be yet but I'll just show you kind of where I'm at at this point. Um, I've been working on a smaller scale, not thinking too carefully or too much about what I'm making, just um, seeing what happens. I'm not sure what these are gonna be, but I think probably I'm gonna combine um, them into some kind of group piece. And the very last part I wanted to show is uh, I, I custom built the studio where I work with the resin and it's essentially uh, a deck um, on the property where I live. It's a, it's a ranch. So it's plenty of space. And I just built a cube on top of the deck that um, whose walls opened up to allow fresh airflow, So we're able to work safely with the resin and they shut that down, which creates a kind of greenhouse. and um, and um, over the years, I've found ways to be, to, you know, to be effective and safe so I can focus on um, what's coming out of them. So thank you very much for having me in the show and for um, listening to me talk. And uh, feel free to check out my website for more info where I'm on the gram as well. Thanks, Daniel. Welcome. Thank you.
2: That was great. I had uh, a couple of questions just thinking about how you well, think. I'm curious about uh, your earlier work really fills up space and kind of like, but doesn't fill it, but kind of touches all of the space, like what you had at Davis and mm-hmm. later, and now you it seems so much more object oriented. hmm And I'm wondering what has dictated that change
1: for you or
2: if it's more about logistics than anything else.
1: Yeah. I've um I did a lot of installations as well that I didn't show um both before my time at Davis and afterwards. And I haven't done I haven't done a lot of them since. That is true. Um I think I've just been more interested in making objects and kind of combining painting and sculpture and and seeing, that was my first time painting. So I'm really curious what that whole world is like and and, and seeing how, what colors, you know, how they can affect the way that a piece is perceived. So um, I think at this point, I'm actually going to be working even smaller than I had been and just going through more ideas but um i've always loved i i did one piece that was a rope insulation on a ranch and it was about 100 feet long and um that was um fantastic and it would be great to do it again at some point in time so i guess it's more logistical at this point because i'm I'm pretty invested in the space that i built and just exploring what it can offer
2: And in terms of you, like you said this last night too, when we were meeting, you were talking about just moving through ideas really fast and mm-hmm. you just kind of said that again. And I'm curious about when you are doing larger scale things and I guess moving through ideas a little more slowly, do they, what's, are they bigger ideas or are they just, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've always been really envious of like painters and because they can they, they could come to they, not that they can't paint I I I could do it too but I I just love the idea how they come to a, a cannabis and within the space of half an hour you have your 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 brushes ready and like you're making it work whereas um my process is very laborious and it, so it just takes more time to get into it and um, yeah, I I feel like, given the slow nature of the process, um, I have so many ideas that I that, that I want to get out, and I sketch them out, but then it takes me a month to actually make them. So, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I guess that's where I'm coming from.
2: I can identify with that for sure.
0: Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. So um, I'm going to introduce our our uh, guests uh, for this, this evening. It's uh, Jamie Angelo and Aida Lizalb. And uh, I first met Jamie uh, at Sac- Sacramento State University. Uh, we were both undergrads together, and he went on to uh, get his MFA at UC Davis. Um, i also went to uc davis and uh, later and that's where i met aida um i've been working with both of them over the last year at Axis gallery in sacramento Um, we put on shows we curate exhibitions uh, we work together uh, managing the space with the other members Uh, jamie is um, pursuing uh, other activities at the moment, uh, but Aida and myself are still members at AXIS. Um, so, yeah, I want to hand it over to Jamie and Aida. They've put together a collaborative uh, performance that, that they will stream and talk about the work.
6: Okay, thanks so much, Tabar. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, what do you say, Aida? Should I just play it first and then we can talk after?
4: Yeah, I think that'd be best.
6: Okay, that was it. Um, Aida, do you want to tell everybody about what you were doing and what your thoughts were?
4: Yeah, um, I've been making a lot of smaller ceramic objects and I have made some pieces before that included the Mayan numbers, uh, zero and one. Um, And I repeated those in this uh, objects that I'm holding. They're the number zero and then the number one in, in Maya numbers, um, representing also the binary code. Um, so that um, comes from other work that I've done that has those two things, and they relate to um, this just kind of like ancient pre Columbian like heritage and culture and also modernity with the way that we communicate in the binary code. Um, so it was just kind of a way to merge those two things. And um, those objects in a way represent uh, my mestizaje as well, like uh, Western, like thought and technology, and then also just kind of like this background of this like heritage of uh, pre um like Mayan numbers. And um, that... I feel like both of those identities um, can be really soothing and also really rough. And I feel like my face is kind of like the something, obviously it's my image and is what I see the most in terms of like what my identity is, like my features and what I look like. So I thought it was like a rough massage in my face, like a, a rough massage of my identity. and um, And it was really interesting when Jamie um sent me some images of what he was thinking about and he was using the faces as well and he was using these references to kind of like like very ancient historical faces um that represent like cultures, um just kind of general, like various different cultures that are like ethnic and um that's where I kind of drew the inspiration of focusing the performance on my face and focusing on, on that kind of like ancient modernness.
6: Yeah, and there was a lot of serendipity in it, for me, the way it came together. <clears throat> They're about the same length, and there were just moments that matched up so beautifully. Um, and initially, Aida showed me those objects and told me that they were the the um, Mayan numbers zero and one, and I've been thinking a lot about um, just, like the my colonial ancestry and the how much art history plays into the myths that i've been fed and like trying to re-examine those things and grapple with them um so it felt like all those objects are like fighting each other and there's you know i mean it's just this symbolic like struggle that i'm going through it seemed to Fit so beautifully too. Like once I to put the put the objects on her eyes, it was like we go into this internal space.
0: I really like the piece. Um, I think I really have these like two strong inclinations from it. Like one of them has to do with like um, how cultures uh, kind of you know. Combine into new identities or how they can perhaps repel each other. But I'm also kind of like given the strong sense of like uh, singularity where it feels like uh, the subject in, in the video is trying to release like a tension headache or something. And it, it, like when you juxtapose that with these like ancient cultures, And cultures throughout history have all dealt with headaches in different ways. Um, Some very severely, um, you know, from treading to other types of uh, practices, medical practices. Um, You get this real kind of like uh, interesting psychology in in the video, and uh, yeah, I just love how you put put this together. I don't know if you work remotely or not, but. kind of worked on a really, you know, short deadline. So I think the turnaround is great. Uh, Thanks. Ha- happy to be you know, working with both of you in this space. And I think you know, the, vi- the video turned out great.
6: I'm so appreciative that Aida
0: uh,
6: was willing to work with me on it. I, mean, <laughs> I was really intimidated to do something, own, so thank you.
4: Oh, no, I, I mean, Jamie's been doing a lot of really interesting performance stuff in his Instagram, and, and I have taken a step back from performance. It's been a while since I really do anything. And I think it really helped me to just be like, why not? I'm just, I'm going to do something. And it, it was very based on like an intuitive, like the motions were really based on something intuitive that I wanted to do with these objects. Um, yeah. But I didn't think I, the objects weren't some massaging thing, but when you grab them, that's kind of what you want to do with them. So, um, and there are also noisemakers, but um, I, yeah, it was just like a nice push to really work with them because I had them around and I was wondering like what, what they were for and whether they were artworks or props or massaging. Things. So I, I really appreciate that I appreciated that and I appreciated the way that you put it together. I think that it added a lot more. Um, and we talked about how, but it came out really nicely with this sound. Yeah.
6: Thanks. Yeah. We should definitely make more stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: great thank you that was that was awesome thank you
4: thanks for inviting us
0: so i think um that that does conclude our programming for the evening uh it was very uh touching to uh, hear your talks uh hear the reading um the great conversation uh super exciting and interesting uh, video art. Um, yeah, I can't say anything more about uh, art, music, lit space other than the fact that it's provided me, you know, uh, space to share with you all. And, um, you know, in these difficult times of uh, COVID-19, covid uh, uprisings against police brutality and demands for justice in our culture and and other cultures um you know we're still here we're doing our thing you know we make work it's not it's not simple it's not easy it you know it's serious fun exciting important critical work that we all do and i'm just happy to have you know the opportunity to share this space with you all so thank you Yeah,
6: thanks everyone.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us, this was a pleasure.
6: It
0: was a pleasure, So, uh, I'd like to say good evening. Um, Hope you enjoyed yourself tonight. Uh, Look look out for uh, notifications on our closing reception, which will be uh, July 30th. We have a great uh, lineup of artists presenting, performing, and talking, and uh, our next exhibition, uh, Methods of Negotiation, uh, will go live August, uh, August 7th. So look out for that as well. So thank you. Good night, everyone.